EMSradio.com. EMS information for the next generation. The EMS Garage is a production of EMSradio.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just search EMS Garage. You can find us on Twitter at EMS Garage. Email us, emsgarage at gmail.com. Or call us, 303-720-6001. The EMS Garage. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the EMS Garage Morning Zoo Edition. This is great. Yeah. We're actually recording this in the daytime, which is abnormal for us. So if we get a little punchy, and it's because we're drinking caffeine and not drinking a beer, which is the normal. So, you know, sometimes we uh, we, we we imbibe during the pie, during the podcast. So we uh, this this time we'll probably be hopped up on caffeine, which is a good thing. Who and, says we're not drinking beer, Chris? Well, okay, maybe you just got off shift, so that could that could be your evening. It could be your evening. <laughs> it, it, it is five o'clock somewhere, oh, right? If you if you guys are, I'll be nice. All right. Well, I'm Chris Monterey, your host, Geeky Medic, and this is our beginning year show. Uh, this year we're gonna or to start the year off right, we're gonna give away EMS Monopoly to one lucky listener, and as always, we're sponsored by. Audible. 85,000 titles, books of every genre. Um, just go to audibletrial.com forward slash EMS Garage to find out more. Get a 14-day free trial and one free Audible book. Yours as long as you want it. You keep the uh, you keep the Audible book even if you cancel the account. So run right over there. Tell them EMS Garage sent you, and we really thank them for their support. So here in about 15 minutes, we will draw the lucky winner of EMS Monopoly live on the air. I have their little cards in my hot little hands here. And hopefully, the one of the five people that sent me an email saying, I would like EMS Monopoly, uh, will get it. So you have a 20%, per, 20% chance of winning, which is maybe better than the weather. So uh, let me introduce our panel, Mr. Tim Noonan. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Yeah, it's morning. It's nice to hear you up, which is a good thing. Yeah. Well, I I'd guess it, well for you it's later than me, so I feel like I'm just getting started here. Yes, uh, I am ahead of you in time. And your new year was good. So far, so good. Right on. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on. How about yours? Uh, you know, it was good. I was sick in bed, so I really didn't do too much. Been, uh, feeling been, better? Uh, I'm feeling a lot better. My, my, You can even tell by my voice. It's almost better. It's almost there. So that's okay. I still sound sultry, like I have a radio voice. So that's a good thing. <laughs> uh, so also okay. joining us... Yeah, I know. Also joining us is Mr. Harry Mueller, who told me last week that I didn't realize that he had never been on the garage before. And I just had assumed so because he's, you know, doing things for us on the, on another show. So I thought, well, so Harry, tell us who you are, where you're from. 
Well, my name's Harry Mueller. I'm a uh, paramedic going on uh, 25 years as a medic, uh, 30 years working in EMS. Currently, I'm the operations coordinator at McGregor EMS in Durham, New Hampshire. We're a combination paid volunteer service, and uh, basically, if it has to do with operations, it crosses my desk. So, quick question. We've never had anybody from New Hampshire on the show before. Uh, so, is the motto in EMS, live free or die? <laughs> that's that's always a good question. Uh, in New Hampshire, though, with uh, with our lack of helmet laws and seatbelt laws, sometimes I think it's uh, live free and die. Oh, well, perfect. See? It's, it's sticking with the state motto, which we appreciate. You would think you wouldn't have much of a job if you just live free and died. Because nobody would really want saved. You never know. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate oh, thanks. it. Thanks for having me. And I understand if you have to run and you're on call and all those good things. So, uh, Also joining us is Mr. Rick Rizzotti. Hello, sir. Hi there, Chris. Thanks for having me back. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for coming back. We appreciate it. Love having you on. Thank you. I enjoy being here. It's like I like I said last week. I feel like I'm a real podcaster now. I'm on EMS Garage. You're killing me. You're killing me. So, how was your New Year? Was it good? You know, New Year's to me, Chris. I, I got to say, uh, I'm like the East German judge when it comes to New Year's at the Olympics. It's like no big deal. It's another midnight. You know, um, I can celebrate midnight any time of the year. Gotcha. Okay. I understand. So you didn't, but I heard it was you're back east, and so I heard they had sn the snooky drop instead of like the ball drop. You know, the snooky. Yeah, I don't. I what see, apparently the? there's something called the Jersey Shore. It's a show, and they had Snooky in some cage, and they dropped her at midnight. I I don't know. Apparently, now, she see now, see we're Amish. I don't even have TV. Mm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But you have a computer, so that's good. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, you know, we don't have cable. But I do have an orange triangle on the back of my car. Nice. And you did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, so that's good. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you. And that other laugh you hear in the background is none other than Dr. Dave Ross. Hello, sir. Good morning. I'm just uh, sipping on my Bloody Mary here. Um, <sighs> I'm, not, I'm not quite used to being up this early, so, uh, so bear with me. I'm having an eye opener. I'm kidding, of course. But... Yeah, I know. I oh, think I am. I'm, I'm not usually up this early talking. Most of the time I make a beeline to my office in the morning, turn on my heater, grab the cup of coffee, and I start talking around 9 or 10. So it's pretty hard exactly. for me to, yeah, it's people, hard for me. People generally don't want to be around me this early in the morning. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, I woke up at 6.30 this morning and went, oh. Because Friday is my normal day off, so I uh, generally get to be lazy on Fridays and not really talk to anybody until noon. So uh, it's all right. But I'm, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy you're here too. So we wanted to talk about some year, uh, yearly predictions. And we normally do this show every year. And last, last week we talked, we kind of recapped and, and gave a glimpse. So I think for this week, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, there was an article on EMS World and I read it yesterday and I can't find it again today. Otherwise I'd share the link with you, but it was talking about, uh, only, only sadly 34 EMS providers died last year. So I would like us to, to maybe make this year the year of safety and we really should, um, we should try to predict that ambulance design will change and and the tools we use in the back of an ambulance will change so that we can actually uh, try to um, make it safer for the people that provide care and the, for the patient as well. 
So, and then I, I think that I would like to then push this in another direction. So let's talk about safety as we go transportation. And then I have another, another interesting topic for the vision of, of 2011 in EMS. What do you guys think? That sounds good. I, I was going to ask if we, before we jump into that, um, you know, last time on a, that I was on, we talked about the situation in New York City. Do you guys remember that? Of course, absolutely. Well, you know, there was a, there was a, an interesting blurb. I see where they're replacing the EMS chief in New York City as a result of that snowstorm. And I just thought, as a quick follow up, if uh, maybe we should kick that around and see what that all meant. Uh, I don't know whether you guys have any opinion about that, but I thought it struck me as sort of uh, interesting that that occurred. I mean, not being in the system, my my read on it is somebody's <laughs> head had to roll and. Uh, he drew the short straw. Yeah, I, I guess that that's assuming that, you know, the fault uh, for the ambulance problem really was the EMS chiefs. It sounds like it was multifaceted to me, uh, involving, you know, unions and snow removal problems, um, et cetera. It sounds like it was a little bit more complex than just an EMS failure. Uh, that was my take on it. Oh, undoubtedly. I, I really don't think it was it was that much of an EMS failure. I think it was a, uh, a total system failure. I mean, they didn't get the plows out in time. Uh, they never declared a state of emergency or whatever they want to declare under their, their regulations. I, I just don't think they thought the whole thing through, even knowing that a storm of this magnitude was coming. Well, I also, yeah. I also found it interesting that there there's more and more coming out every day about maybe the sanitation workers were kind of dragging their feet after the snow because they were protesting uh, past layoffs things like that so you know sanitation I kind of workers in new york city causing uh problems that might not be exactly legal this is news well <laughs> it was new it's been news here you know whatever well, there's a uh, New York story City's up known for that. Oh. Sorry, there's a story up at Gems.com talking about this a little bit about the uh, the chief uh, EMS being replaced, and they they allude to the fact on there that uh, he was in trouble for something else to begin with. Um, but I do agree, it's uh, an interesting um, time to replace your EMS chief, and I think the whole storm situation and. In New York City, has some striking similarities to the uh, the storm back in what was it February of 2010 that hit Pittsburgh, where some EMS folks uh, were under the gun there or under the bus, however you want to look at it, um, for that snow event. Well, well go, ahead. go ahead, Chris. No, well, I was going to say, do you think maybe it's it's kind of the middle guy on the totem pole? Everybody at the bottom looks up and goes, "Well, that guy's at fault," and everybody at the top looking down go, "Oh, that looks like a good fall guy." And okay, he had a little bit of stuff before, but now, you know, it's pretty easy just to just to throw the guy under the bus. Yeah, and you know, maybe I could buy that um, if you if you didn't know anything about. Uh, putting an ambulance through snow and, and such, maybe I could buy that. But who looks at this with, with any shred of common sense and said, yeah, it must have been the ambulance's fault that they couldn't get through the snow that wasn't plowed. I, I just I don't get that at all. 
And uh, the article there on GEMS uh, also talks a little bit about the uh, the emergency management uh, official, and I forget what the guy's name is. He's uh, he's also under scrutiny, too. So that might just be the tip of the iceberg, but I found it interesting that it at least started with the EMS chief, who probably had the least input into the emergency response plans that were drafted for the city. Yeah, and, and I, I was looking for it myself. I couldn't find it, but uh, I think it was either in the GEMS or EMS 1 um recap of that whole situation they quote mayor bloomberg and uh, mayor bloomberg's quote as 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 i recall it and i don't have it in front of me mentioned something about you know ems failure and ambulance failure um as being the reason to to make a change um and again i think this is uh you know quite a bit more complex i i you know i, I what what i don't know um and we kind of alluded to this last week what what i don't know is besides the issue of getting through the snow, which I think is probably well beyond EMS's control, is is whether or not there were provisions for alternatives to ambulance transport. So, you know, what if you have a situation, whether it's flooding or snow or or whatever, some sort of physical obstruction to ambulances? Um, you know, are, are there alternatives to transport? Can you can you jerry rig something else? So we are able to get trucks there uh, with first responders. Um, could some of those patients, if they had to be transported, be transported in in a non-ambulance vehicle? And w- were they set up to do that? That seems to me, if that wasn't, uh, you know, a possibility, may- maybe there's criticism there for the EMS um, um, division. But uh, but I-, I think the snow issue and, and removal of snow is clearly beyond somebody's control within EMS. I think there's more than enough blame to go around, and I, I, I'm, you know, looking at uh, Dave Koenig's blog, and I'm, I'm having to take what he says and and put some stock in it since he's in the system, and and he makes a very strong case that there is there is some blame to be had by the sanit- sanitation commissioner and by the office of emergency management, and apparently at this point they're not getting any of the uh, the responsibility hung on them that this uh, this three star EMS chief is getting. And and I'm I, I, like I said I think he drew the short straw and it was his head that was going to roll, and uh, he took it for the team, which I'm not sure is exactly fair. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that it is either, and uh, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, going forward if they do make some changes within EMS that makes um, them more responsive in these difficult situations, or whether this just recurs again. Well, and and I do have to say too that as you, it's almost kind of the same way in some military sense. And when things go wrong, there's it seems like in our society it's it's easy to find a fall guy, and you want to make that because it just seems to put everybody at ease. Like right, wrong, or indifferent, whether the guy was. Uh, a complete jerk moron whatever it doesn't matter it's that hey we have a fall guy all the entire blame of the entire storm rests on this one man's shoulders and now whew, we can go around and and make it all better and and i just see that far too often in in a lot of industries not just in our industry but in a lot of industries where it's easy just to um and i i use easy in the in the nicest way but it's easy to put blame on someone just so that you can kind of skirt the issue of actually everybody taking some of the responsibility and i think that's just the society we live in yeah i'm just we believe sorry. that unless we believe that unless somebody's punished um 
things won't get better, but there's nothing about punishing one person that has anything to do with things getting better. It just changes to somebody else doing things the same way. Yeah, I, I found the article, and uh, uh, it says, uh, Mayor Bloomberg says, we didn't do the job we had wanted to do, that I wanted to do, and everybody else wanted to do. Um, that's what he says. Um, and uh, uh, and and then the, the fire commissioner says, I felt new leadership was needed at this time. That was that was the statement that was, it was actually in ems1.com. Um, so... Uh, I, I think, um, you know, it's, I guess that's part of being in a public office is that you, you, you somebody's going to have to take the, the fall for it. But it sounds like there was plenty of it to go around. Well, and I'm, and I'm sure more to come. And, and the unfortunate thing is, you know, if I look at, uh, look at the director of, of FEMA after Katrina, I mean, again, everything fell on him. Agreed, agreed some mistakes happened, but you know i think that there was enough enough mistakes in the uh parishes and in louisiana to to blame but no we've got to we've got to blame somebody and so poor uh well, michael york, brown poor guy with, he takes the fall for it yeah. in new york with uh saying that changes needed to be made anyway why didn't he make the changes before the storm if he knows what's going on within uh, his system, he could have just as easily made this change before the end of the year and uh, had somebody else in there when the storm hit. Well, he could have, except that, as uh, to quote somebody in the administration, a crisis is uh, a great uh, is a sad thing to waste, or something along that line. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so that was we, a we different purpose, though. Yeah, I think it has meaning in this case. We respond after crises occur. Unfortunately, that's that's when when action takes place. Is oh my God, we've got a problem. Uh, we didn't realize that uh, somebody's going to have to go. And um, yeah. uh, I mean, if you look at our history, that's just exactly the way things happen. Happened after Katrina. Uh, it's happened after you know nine eleven. Um, and in this case. Um, so, yeah, we have the wonderful TSA after 9-11 and all sorts <laughs> yeah. of other... Yeah, nobody wants to take blame for that exactly one. Exactly. Uh, uh, don't mention response. the TSA this early in the morning, please. Yeah, right. um, I'm, I'm going to have to repent for that one. Um, we react in a way that is not exactly what you would describe as intelligently. Right. Hey, guys, what about this one? Um Situations like this where uh, leadership is, shall we say, being targeted after uh, response failure, fire service, EMS, public service, uh, public emergency management, whatever the case. Uh, specifically with EMS, we see things like this happen. Is it going to dissuade people from wanting to be in those positions? Or are we going to set ourselves up for not having qualified folks willing to take on those leadership positions when we see this kind of thing uh happen in the news uh over and over again oh. and is, is maybe is that a prediction we should make that's that's a good that's a very good question i one of the really interesting it things about it is that uh the new ems chief is now a four-star position rather than a three-star position so you know a higher rank maybe that's uh some way of making up for the increased risk of being sacrificed in public. 
That's true. Yeah. Well, even well, and I guess here's my question though: a lot of lawsuits haven't haven't dissuaded people from becoming physicians. So my hope is is that you know any day any day could be your day, and whether you're the top official or you're the guy on the street, and I think that you just go out and do the best job you know how to do. And sometimes you may not, you may find yourself in a position where you may have to gracefully step aside so that other people look good. Now, I think that history will remember that. I, you know, look at Ollie North. I mean, you know, the guy <laughs> really was the fall guy for some pretty bad things. And history has said he's a, he's a, he's a pretty decent guy. He was following orders. He did what he was supposed to do. And it just may take time for society to forget. Um, luckily, in our industry, the memory is pretty short. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think it'll dissuade people, but I think it would make people think twice. You know, like, why would I want that job? I knew if I was the new guy in New York, I'd be going, the last guy got rode out on a rail. Yeah. Well, you know, as you get as you get further up um, in responsibility, the risks are greater. Um, I think that's you, you get more visibility, you probably get more money. Um, you know, there's some perks with that, uh, but it comes with uh, with risk. And you're subject to the whims of politicians uh, and and who's in charge and who wants to look good. And everybody wants to look good. So um, uh, if you're a little bit lower down on the totem pole and uh, your boss uh, thinks that uh, they're going to be compromised in some way, shape, or form, uh, in those types of positions, you're likely to be gone. That's a very good point. <clears throat> Especially we well, want people, We want people in positions of authority who are willing to take responsibility for their actions. Um, Mike Ward has a post at FireGeezer about transporting people by fire truck, which um, is something that happened because of delayed responses by EMS. They weren't able to get through to the snow. And he's saying that we have a responsibility to the organization to protect the organization from um, criticism and uh, regulatory actions and other stuff. And um, both Dave Koenig and I responded with posts that uh, say exactly the opposite. You know, we're there for the patient, not for the organization. Even if you say that without the organization there, nobody can do anything for the patient, is that a good reason to do nothing for the patient, to put the patient after the organization? And I think we're all too afraid of taking responsibility for actions. We need to do what's right for the patient and deal with the consequences afterward. I mean, if I'm going to be that worried about what, you know, what happens to my organization and not as worried about what happens with the patient, I'm going to need to have an attorney assigned to my crew so I can get legal advice every step of the way. <laughs> That's a good point. That was one of the things I suggested. Instead of just calling medical command, we're going to have to call legal command. Right, yeah. Well, in that same EMS1.com article, I see that uh, the ambulance that uh, carried President Kennedy's body from the airplane to uh, uh, Bethesda for his autopsy is for sale. I don't know if you guys saw that. Yeah, I saw that on EMS1. That's a cool yeah. ambulance, too. Man, it is, actually. Unfor 
I know, it would be cool, but uh, and it's actually all original, it says here. It's basically not been modified at all, but it probably will go for somewhere around four to $500,000. Yeah, I was going to say easily half a million. Ugh, man, if I just had money. Come on, people. I know. Well, if you scrape up all the Monopoly money you can find, maybe they'll take that. Uh, what a great segue. So uh, I have pulled the random winner out of our hat, and I'd like to thank gems.com and... Um, the guy AJ Heitman and uh, uh, Dave Ioni over there at uh, Go Forward Media for sending us this and saying, "Hey, why don't you give one away on your show?" So I said, "All right, I'll make it a little thing and it'll be fun." So Kim Spuler, um, Kim Spuler, you won. So I will be emailing you. Oh, you're a new Colorado EMT. Well, how about that? <laughs> All right. Well, Kim Spuler, um, honestly, there was. Uh, nothing in that uh kim email i'll email you you email us and we'll get you this fine copy of ems monopoly and if you want me to sign it all the better no, i'll sign it in disappearing ink so you can have it. no i'm teasing I'm and if there happens to be an application in there think nothing of it Ex- yeah exactly exactly you, you know what's sad though is if there, there's no ems garage um little tile but now we'll talk about next time maybe they'll maybe they'll put one on there uh so so at this point i'd also like to thank audible.com for sponsoring us and go to audibletrial.com forward slash ems garage to listen to some books you will get a 14-day free trial and you will get one free audible book during that time there are again there is so much there you can listen to it on your ipod or your mp3 player you can um, pretty much download. You can actually listen to a little snippet of it before you download to see if you like it. Um, for me, I like listening um, not only to authors that I like, but narrators that really bring in a sense of um, mystical and wonder. And I just love people that can really read and, and really engage your mind. So if you're out there driving around, you're getting ready to go to work, and you, you pop it in the car and want to listen after you listen to ems garage of course <clears throat> then uh make sure you listen to your audiobook from audible audibletrial.com forward slash ems garage they're our sponsor this week and we'd really like to thank them um and for those of you listening the audible free offer that we were um, the little giveaway we had from blog world is over so that ended at the end of the year so that's why i gave away everything else i had last week so we had four winners last week and none this week so sorry about that but um I'm sure we'll have more contests soon. EMS today is coming up really, really quickly. And my hope is we'll have a few giveaways before that show so that we can uh, see you out at EMS today. So let's talk about the future and, uh, and what, we, what we really see for this year. Um, we did find the article on, on EMS World, 34 EMS personnel lives lost in 2010. 19 of them included pilots, flight paramedics, and nurses. So, I, doing some quick math, that tells me 15 were ambulance responders of some sort. Um, you, you know, they're going to be added to the EMS per, the EMS personnel memorial in Colorado Springs, which was moved here last year. And we'd really like you to come uh, to June or to Colorado Springs in June and be a part of our ceremony and really recognize them. And I think it's very important, but let's not, I don't want to get too, uh, 
doom and gloom. But I, I would like to say that it's it's time that we as an industry really took safety for our responders to the next level. And that to me would be my hope and my prediction for 2011 is that we really start taking it more and more um, uh, seriously. Thoughts? It's about time. Well, like, of course. Okay. All right. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but come <laughs> on, give me some controversy here. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I honestly think one of the first places we need to look is we need to stop driving 10 ton ambulances. Oh, I, I, good one. I don't need an ambulance the size of a rescue truck to pick up the, you know, the five foot two little old lady with chest pain. I'm sorry. I just don't need it. You know, let's, let's get some vehicles that are appropriately sized and and I think right there, we're going to eliminate the cause of some of these deaths. You know what's funny is a while back we somebody had said on the show, you need an F four fifty to pick up a hundred pound patient, and uh, we actually got some listener feedback on that from Lee Roche, and he thought it was pretty funny. But I do agree that um, we as an industry in the United States really get bigger, and every time I go to a trade show, the vehicles are bigger again i'm like oh you know i just you know it's on a it's on a mid-sized chassis and you know international rah, 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 you know big honking do we really need something that big to transport one patient at a time well it's the know. ems providers keep getting bigger too well the patients get bigger uh, <laughs> some of the patients are getting bigger too uh, so maybe in isolated cases we do need a bigger rig but i would agree that we probably do not need the size of uh, equipment that we have. Um, I, I think it's really important for people to remember a, a statistic, and I'm quoting this off the top of my head, but um, in a paper that was published a few years ago, the vehicle uh, injury rate uh, for EMS is like 9.6 per 100,000 um, transports or, or, or um, movements of vehicles. And um, and that is somewhere it, it's almost double what it is for fire and police. So fire and police are somewhere around five per one hundred thousand, and EMS is like nine point six. So you know, in popular culture, we think of fire and EMS as being higher risk in terms of uh, vehicle movements and stuff. But it actually turns out that EMS is at greater risk. So we have to understand that um, when we're in an ambulance. Our patients, um, the public, and ourselves are at risk of injury. We're just at, at, at in the public safety arena. We're, we're the highest risk group. Well, and you know, somebody had said at one point that we have we have the highest risk um, of driving as a taxi driver. And I guess I never realized that taxi drivers uh, carry a high risk um, as far as workmen's workers comp. So that to me is pretty sad but i think that the other piece of it too is is that you know i don't think we should just focus on death how many people uh lose their jobs due to disability every year and those really aren't statistics that are reported and i would like to really see that in comparison to what um the deaths are and it's not you know and i'm not thinking just from accidents but from lifting or other things that you know here here not only are the ambulances getting bigger but the cots are getting heavier and the equipment's getting bigger and, you know, I'm still kind of a small guy and picking up a 120 pound cot is pretty.
pretty difficult. And then you add on to that 120 pound cot. That's the power cot that's supposed to be easier to use, but yet still I have to bear all that weight and then put on top of that a 200 pound patient. Um, it's not so easy. No, actually, actually, Ron Thackeray from AMR National has some really good statistics on AMR personnel across the country that it, it kind of exemplify exactly what you said, Chris, and that is, you know, the breakdown. Safety is really a lot more than vehicular safety. That's what kind of gets all of our attention is, oh, these crashes. Um, but but you're right. It's it's a lot more than that. It's lifting injuries. It's um, sleep and and circadian rhythm and shifts and and all of that kind of thing. Volume, number of calls, all of these things are, are safety related. And uh, so he has a really good slide, you know, breaking down the incidence of various segments of of safety from. Uh, you know, employee injury uh, suffered in any way uh, all the way through vehicle. And and so as it turns out, and I don't have the slide in front of me, uh, vehicle-related injuries, while they're significant in terms of overall risk to the the crew, is actually a little bit lower down. Um, And you're right, the lifting issues are are probably the highest. So that's part of safety as well. Well, how how do we fix that? I mean, the ergonomics of our job just require us to lift in positions that are almost impossible to to do safely uh, a, a lot of the time, and our equipment is is not really designed for it. You know, how how do we change this? Oh boy. Um, well, I don't know, and I guess the other piece of it is. And here's where I wanted to kind of take the safety topic is we need to focus on patient safety as well. And not only patient safety from the aspect of transport, but patient safety from the aspect of not using things on them that harm them. I don't know who's breathing, but it's really. Stop breathing, whoever you are. (laughs) Stop breathing. No more, no more, no more air in and out of lungs. No teasing. It was just kept blowing over the mic. Sorry. So, um, so the, patient safety from the realm of we really need to look at this as uh, boy a way that hospitals look at patient safety um, not only from them falling in the hospital but medication errors and things like that that I don't think we really do a good job I think that there are some efforts going on through the University of Pittsburgh website and some other things that are allowing anonymous reporting but you know, we, we have equipment out there all the time that's not necessarily safe for patients. Yeah, I, it seems to me that the, as far as the lifting piece goes, um, you can't eliminate that risk. Uh, obviously, it's part of the job, as, as was pointed out. Um, you know, um, equipment can help in some ways if it's properly used and newer equipment. Um, having uh, multiple people on scene that are, you know, reasonably well-trained in terms of lifting people appropriately would seem to spread the risk around a little bit, you know, so that if you've got more people who know what they're doing, chances of an individual getting hurt are a little bit less. Um, but, you know, short of that, I, I, I don't, it's just part of the job. And I would agree with Chris, too, that the, the patient safety aspect in EMS really is just starting to kind of wake up. We're, we're starting to think about that. Uh, we have thought about it indirectly, you know, in terms of trying to reduce our incidence of crashes and protecting people when we do crash, but but really getting a little bit more specific in the area of, of reducing drug errors or, um, you know, uh, IV complications or whatever it may be that compromise patient safety. I think we're just starting to talk about that a little bit. 
Well, Harry, well, probably and, half of what we go ahead, Tim. Probably half of what we carry in our drug boxes is unreasonably risky for the patients. We carry stuff because this is what we started out in EMS carrying, and we don't want to get rid of anything once we've got it. Well, I agree with that. I mean, I think you'd have to be a little bit more specific, but some of the, the, the you know things that have happened of late that, that really are higher risk in terms of drugs specifically have to do with the way things are packaged. And there's been some mix-ups between epinephrine 1 to 1,000 and epinephrine 1 to 10,000 and, um, um, you know, and misdosing as a result of it. Even though they're packaged somewhat differently, uh, you know, the cardiac FB is packaged, uh, you know, generally in, a, in pre-filled syringes, but for a while that, that went away. Um, you know, the manufacturer wasn't making them. And so, um, you know, people had to dilute epinephrine down to 1 to 10,000. Um, so anytime you do, you have those kinds of situations come up, there's a chance for error, um, and they can be significant. So there are some system things, packaging things, uh, drug availability issues that that directly, you know, run a greater risk for patients than, than we would like. Um, you know, as far as what drugs we're carrying that we just do out of tradition that we shouldn't use, that's a matter for debate. I think it would be a good discussion. I'm not sure what quite you're referring to, but certainly open to talking about it. Epinephrine would be one of them. There's still no evidence that it improves outcomes, but we continue to use it because it helps get back a pulse quicker. The same argument was used for high-dose epinephrine, and we got rid of that because we realized that getting a pulse back quicker isn't really that important. Yeah, but on the other hand, having it available for somebody with uh, an acute allergic reaction or anaphylaxis is life-saving. So uh, I agree with you. In Absolutely. And you don't run into shortages when that's all you're using it for. That's true. That's true. But I, I think, you know, Heart Association is not pulling epinephrine from, uh, you know, its cardiac uh, arrest um, algorithms. Um, and you can replace it with uh, uh, vasopressin if you want, and that might be, you know, uh, one response. Actually, that's what we tried to do was was switch over to vasopressin completely for cardiac arrest when we ran out of the uh, pre-filled um, epinephrine syringes. But, you know, a lot of other people had that idea too, and vasopressin was kind of in short supply. It's also more expensive, I think. You know, Lasix was another one that was in short supply, and it's one we probably shouldn't carry at all in AMS. I agree with that. I think that, yeah, I agree with that. I think that its role in CHF is very third line at best, um, and there's actually some information to suggest it may harm people who, you know, where we're not sure if they have COPD versus CHF, um, you know, and we give it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that you could make an argument against Lasix. There isn't even a good argument for it for EMS and patients who definitely have CHF. Uh, there are two papers, one uh, by Dr. Macesso out of Pittsburgh and another one by Dr. Matu out of uh, uh, UMBC, I think. Um, one of the hospitals in the Baltimore area, maybe Johns Hopkins. And and they point out that there are several other drugs that are more effective than Lasix. And in EMS, the more different drugs we give, the more we create the possibility for error. We can give high-dose nitrates for hypertensive patients. We can use CPAP. We can use ACE inhibitors. 
And do we really need one more drug on top of that? Right. I think it's a good argument. Yeah. Well, let's look at the bright side. If we only carried what we know and what was proven to work, we wouldn't have to carry a lot. <laughs> yeah, getting a smaller ambulance would be a lot easier. There you go. Yeah, I think we solved the whole thing, actually. Okay, done. Okay, so, uh, next topic. <laughs> well, 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 while we're talking about smaller ambulances, what I would love to see, and uh, I, I think this is from a safety standpoint, is, and this is a problem in my own agencies, I know, um, and, and that is strategies for people to stay seat belted. Because um, when I ride along with our crews, um, which I do on occasion, they, you know, they really are concerned that I'm watching their medicine, which I am. But um, but I also sort of note, um, and we have these new fancier, bigger ambulances like everybody's been talking about that have four-point restraint systems, and uh, they seem nice. But I do notice that in addition to watching their medicine, that uh, the vast, vast majority of people do not buckle at all. Um, and it's clear that, uh, you know, Dr. Doug Koopas has shown in some studies that uh, uh, crews that are not belted are at greater risk of injury should a, a vehicle crash. So... Um, and that seems to be a huge hurdle for us to overcome is the idea of belting. And, and part of that, it seems to me, comes from um, uh, the idea that we don't really prepare on scene ahead of time. A lot of stuff gets done en route, um, and so people are up and around a lot. And the, um, uh, and the other thing, at least in our ambulances, that I, I, I notice is that while we have some newfangled things that are you know, safety-ish um, oriented. Um, we really haven't given a surface area or a place for the medics to work and set up their, their gear while they're seated. You know, we just didn't really think of that. So to me, it's a, 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 it, those are two real situations that, that occur. And then um, on top of it is really a culture issue. So, um, you know, we haven't really stressed remaining belted. It's not really important to us in, in in terms of a management level, uh, you know, enough to push it and push it and push it. So I, I would like to see that change in the future going forward. Um, I don't know how easy that's going to be. I think it's going to be hard. It is ironic that it's ironic that we have people uh, who insist that we do everything uh, we can for the patient. We take all the risks ourselves and not be belted and stuff like that. But when you ask them to take any kind of um, employment risk, administrative risk, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, no, we have to forget about the patient then. And this is just one of the things. We drive too fast and we're not belted. And it's in the front of the ambulance and in the back. Well, and if the ambulance was smaller, you could, you would, everything would be closer because you would, it would just be part of the necessity of the design. And, um, you know, I just think that if things, if it was smaller, things would be easier to get. You would have to stay belted. Um, I know that there's a, there's a place out in here in Colorado in Fort Morgan and, uh, Dave may know about it, but they're using suburbans as ambulances and you have to stay seated. You can't stand up in the ambulance. So just because of that necessity alone, the, the person you doesn't mean you're wearing your seatbelt, but you'll have to be seated and it's a much smaller compartment to work in. And <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, it seemed the people in the helicopter figured it out. Why can't we? 
Yeah, no, I, I, I think it, you know, I think it starts philosophically from the top. Um, you know, it's a commitment that we're going to stay belted in the back, um, and we're going to build things uh, around that concept to make it easier um, for that crew member to stay belted. But, but first, we have to kind of agree that that's the emphasis, and we haven't really done that yet. I think industry-wide, um, you know, part of it is, you know, I think um, setting up as much as possible before the ambulance rolls, and this is the antithesis of the old, quote, golden hour, which we know really probably doesn't matter, at least in the vast majority of cases, but it's the old short scene time stress to get going. Um, but, you know, uh, so, so, so taking a couple extra minutes to prep ahead of time before the ambulance rolls um, is not something that we've, we've really emphasized at all. In fact, it's the opposite. Well, what I find so frustrating about this whole thing is is our colleagues in Europe and Australia and New Zealand, they've already figured this out. They have figured out how to get put the paramedic in a position to treat the patient appropriately and stay seated and have all their equipment within within arm's reach. And the way they did that, they made the ambulances small. This seems like a pretty easy solution, but we don't want to do it. Uh, culturally, it's just not something that, that EMS providers are interested in. Bigger is better. Uh, and, and I don't agree with it. I'm going through the ambulance specification process now, and I guarantee I'm not going to be able to sell a smaller ambulance to my higher-ups because, well, only commercials use vans. Uh, that's such a... Uh... See now, if we if you go to Sprinters, they don't look like the old van. So maybe maybe they'd be like, "Oh, new something new." Um, but if you if you told them that it take you can get five hundred thousand miles on the chassis, it gets double the gas mileage, and um, the repair maintenance intervals are about uh, three times what they are on a on a comparable larger chassis. That to me makes a lot of sense as a as an administrator. I mean, if you're looking at dollars and cents wise, look at it that way. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me too. the the other The other factor that goes into this is we carry too much stuff. Do we really need to have two complete sets of equipment? One in the cabinets in the ambulance, and another in the bags to go in the house. You duplicate that much equipment. Yes, you're going to need a lot more room. Um, my experience with with you know speaking with Europeans, they don't duplicate. You got your bag. You operate out of the bag. There is limited stuff that's in cabinets in the ambulance, but most of it's coming out of your bag. It, to me, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, one of the one of the criticisms that I've heard against the smaller uh, van ambulances, I guess sprinters, you know, come to mind, is um, you know its crash resistance in the event of a collision. So, especially in the cabin or, or in the back area. So. If a, if a vehicle was turning and was T-boned, um, you know, by another vehicle um, in, into the cabin area in the back, um, what's, the, what's the strength of that um, box versus, say, one of the bigger um, Type 3 type of vehicles, which is what I think some people think is, is, is the safety feature of the bigger ambulance. So, I mean, Chris, I think you have some familiarity with that. What, how would you respond to that concern? Uh, I don't know. I don't really think that there's... I don't think that there's good evidence. I think that um, it's simple physics. You know, the mass and the force 
equals or the mass and the acceleration equals the force. So the more mass you have, the I think um, I, there, the more damage you will. Um, or it seems like it seems like the big one would be safer, but I think that it's actually counterintuitive because the more mass in there, it actually it, it does take a little bit longer to slow down. But also when it hits something, it hits hard. And there's a we lot could use of the troop behind. transports they use in uh, the military. You know, they're big. You get hit by something. Uh, you don't generally get hurt, but we can't afford them. And that's really big. Think that, I mean, that's huge. I mean, yeah, I well, think if we were that what big, EMS like is all about. It's a, it's about going too big, much bigger than any sane person uh, would do. But we're EMS, so sanity is not a relevant uh, part of it. Uh, if we use smaller ambulances and we train our people to not get into crashes, you pointed out that police and fire have about one-third, or uh, Dr. Dave pointed out that they have about one-third the crash rate or uh, crash fatality rate of EMS, then why can't we learn to do this better? Good, point. Good question. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Well, and I think I want to go back real quick to that, to the idea of patient safety. And it's, I think it's a little harder for EMS because while we have a sanctioning body, um, CAS or something like that, that will accredit certain services, not every service in the United States is required. Like, like you have to, JCO is required for hospitals. So, you know, I, that's it, wrong. I didn't say it, it was. Right. I didn't say it was right. I didn't say it was right. I'm just saying that with that comes standards, and those standards include error reporting and include ways to improve what we're doing and recognize when things go wrong, and 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 then try to fix them, not just go okay, well that went bad. We, you know, and then share the results and share in amongst a community. I think EMS as a as a whole is pretty tight-lipped about things when they go wrong and they're even more tight-lipped when they do go wrong we're just like oh you know we, nothing happened nobody needs to know yeah don't examine it just sacrifice somebody right yeah, yes exactly. that, 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 may, that may be our you know our, our public presentation is that nothing went wrong nothing went wrong but i can guarantee behind closed doors we're turning on each other <laughs> and, and uh turning into a pack of vicious animals because somebody has to pay right right that's well, when something goes wrong we always make it an individual failure rather than a system failure. We refuse to look at things as systemic problems. Very good point. All right. We have quickly approached our hour. Are there any other predictions you guys would have for 2011 um, in the world of EMS and how we think it'll change over the next 12 months? Specific well, I, to safety or just anything, anything? Anything you, anything and everything. I think it, you know, it really is so dependent right now on what happens with health care reform. Um, uh, you know, we, we had Obamacare passed last March, um, but we know that the, uh, there's a Republican uh, majority in the House who have uh, already uh, are attempting to repeal it. Whether that will be successful or not is another story, but they may be able to defund portions of it. But so that makes it, uh, you know, unclear as to what kind of product we're going to have or not have. But, but ultimately, I think that, um, you, you know, um, there is a role, as you know, Chris. I think coming down the line, whether it'll be this year, next year, 
um, or the year after for more community-based paramedic um, care, whatever that may look like. I mean, um, you know, it, it could it could run the gamut. I've heard all sorts of suggestions. So I think that um, at some point, whether it's this year or next, we'll see a greater emphasis on that role for paramedics. I that I I like that. That's a good thing. Uh, other other comments. Well, that's we almost exactly what I was going to say. Um, I think the public uh, community paramedicine is going to uh, going to start to grow in the next year or so, and I think we're going to see that echoed in uh, uh, things like the growth of walk-in care centers, urgent care centers, or even retail health care centers, where um, you might see employment opportunities for uh, paramedics outside of the traditional roles. And I think our response is going to change to those locations as well. Instead of taking people to EDs, I think we might uh, start taking people to these walk-in care centers as they prove their quality and, and value um, here in the next year. Yeah, and I think that, that probably part of that, um, you know, concomitantly might be uh, an, an increased emphasis on, on education, uh, at least at the paramedic level. So I would like to see, and it could be coupled together, and this won't happen this year, I don't think, but, um, you, you know, for, for certain higher level activities um, for uh, paramedics and EMS, uh, a requirement for an associate's degree uh, I yes. think will 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 help a lot. I mean, it'll it'll help define those people who really maybe want to stay in EMS, specifically paramedicine, as a career, um, and less so in a transient phase. You know, they're moving from you know to another healthcare field, or they're moving out of healthcare altogether. That's what we see now a lot. But a greater commitment to education investment uh, with with a higher upward mobility, I think, would probably add to retention of, of uh, good people in EMS. Well, I think it wouldn't hurt anyone. No. And well, how can well, we I, give I, more I, authority how can we give more authority to EMS to make decisions about destination, about treat and release if we don't improve the education of EMS in that area. How much education do we give on treat and release right now? I think you're asking a question. Is that right, Tim? Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I think, you know, you, you have a, an obligation to prove that, um, you know, that the education is rigorous enough um, to make these sorts of calls. And, uh, it's variable right now across the board. Um, so I think that, you know, it adds to the weight uh, of an argument that says, you know, uh, these people are competent and capable of, of doing this kind of thing. And all, uh, part of all of that is assuming that you have an alternative destination to recommend or, or in, in a number of cases, you know, that they're not going to be transported anywhere. But in order to do that, there's risk, there's liability. Um, and we we definitely have an obligation to show that the people are well trained and capable of making those decisions. Maybe with in some cases with online medical control to help where needed, but uh, but certainly that the education needs to be better. Yeah, I think if we're going to be leaving patients, we should always be uh, contacting medical command unless it's something where they're not injured and I've 
dealt with administrators who insisted that uh, uninjured people still need a refusal form. Uh, they're not patients. How do you do a refusal form on somebody who's not a patient? But uh, when you're dealing with somebody who's a diabetic or has chest pain but doesn't want to go to the hospital, absolutely. If you're going to be leaving them there, you have the time to get on the phone and talk with somebody who's uh, much more familiar with the bad outcomes and can present that to the patient. Also, you put a patient on the phone with a doctor, a lot of the time they say, oh, yes, doctor, whatever you say, doctor, I'll come to the hospital. Gee, I wish my patients did that, but uh, yeah, in theory, that might happen. Um, Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't, but I think it does add to the weight of the attempt to try to convince somebody to go. And I'd love to talk about that topic sometime. We're, we're struggling with that now. Is When is a patient a patient? Oh, and, uh, the age-old question. I love that one. Um, and Too much of EMS is run by the lawyers, and they don't understand medicine. <laughs> they understand what they can convince a jury of, and we don't do a good job of trying to explain to our own people and to juries, this is the way EMS works. We're doing what's best for the patient, not what's best for the lawyers. And a lawyer walks in and says, oh, that could be bad. And all of a sudden, we have a new policy that you will never, ever, under any circumstances, do whatever it was that the lawyer said, that could be bad. Right. But... I, you know, I believe in a nice system of checks and balances. Sometimes we need the lawyers to tell us when we perhaps should not be taking so many risks. So, I, I, and I'm playing that. They shouldn't have the final word. No, no, not at all. Uh, not at all. One hospital where I taught ACLS, the lawyers said, until the patient has an armband on, wristband on, that says that they are a patient of the hospital, you will not start CPR, even though they collapsed within the hospital. It's insane. You know, if somebody has cardiac arrest in the hospital and they're a visitor, which does happen, um, you think the hospital is not going to be liable by not doing anything? No, it's pretty hard to argue. But lawyers will make that argument. And when you're a lawyer, you can take either side of an argument and make a good argument for something. That's what they train you to do. We need to evaluate the advice that's given to us by lawyers and say, is this really good for patients? And if it's not good for patients, maybe we need to disregard the advice of the lawyer because the lawyer is not doing what's best for the patient. Right. Absolutely. All right. Rick, you've been remarkably quiet. Are you, uh, do you have any predictions for 2011? No, I, I just would predict that, uh, our educational requirements are going to either be set by us or set for us in the coming year or years. I do believe that uh, this will be a, an increased awareness year to patient and provider safety. And again, it's going to fall on our shoulders, Chris. I think it's going to be really our responsibility to uh, to get involved with that kind of safety uh, into how we're managing ourselves on the job. Uh, that, that's about where I'd leave it for now. Very cool. Any last thoughts? Well, I, I was just noticing again in EMS1.com, I, I, it seems like maybe we all should chip in and get um, Michael Jackson's cardiologist a CPR course. Um, 
for for this new year. Um, I'm thinking that might be a good or an ethics course. Well, that too, but but uh, you know, from EMS Garage, I think would be you know a, a formal uh, uh, CPR course uh, as a gift would be a good thing because a little blurb here that says in his trial he he didn't seem to know CPR, uh, so I think that's a sad thing, and and we could help. <laughs> Continuous compressions until EMS arrives. That's all right. they need I mean, to I know. I don't think I would do mouth to mouth on Michael Jackson either, but I think I would do continuous compressions. <laughs> Although, with propofol as the possible causative uh, agent, there maybe all he needed was mouth to mouth. Maybe so. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it was a, a little mix of stuff. Uh, of course, I wasn't there, but uh, I think it was propofol and some other things. But uh, you're right. Maybe it was an airway issue all the, all the way along, but. Anyway, I just thought that would be a nice idea for 2011. All right. Well, we'll make sure that uh, we try to talk to him before he goes to prison. All right. So, <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys very much. Tim Noonan, where can people find you? Uh, roguemedic.com at emsblogs.com and at paramedicine101.com. There was one interesting story recently. It was a helicopter EMS helicopter versus a plane, and the helicopter made a controlled landing. The people in the plane were both killed in the crash. So, interesting. That was odd. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Well, that is a little odd. Oh, we should talk about the blackbirds falling from the sky. That's been a really odd thing. All the conspiracy theorists out there could be talking about that. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about that another time. Um, the Mac Medic, uh, Harry Mueller. Where can people find you? Well, most of the time, uh, I'm on Twitter at the Mac Medic. Uh, you can email me, themacmedic at gmail.com. Uh, working hard to uh, get the next episode of the uh, EMS Research Podcast out, hopefully uh, recording next week with uh, Dr. Keith Wesley to talk about uh, how to read and evaluate medical research and uh, planning uh, some interesting papers after that. Right on. Very cool. And Mr. Rick Rosati. You're not a doctor, are you? Now, we went through this last week. I know, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you, sir? Mitigationjournal.org or uh, mitigationjournal at gmail.com or Rick Rosati on Facebook <laughs> or Twitter, something like that would work just fine. Very cool. You going to come down and see us at EMS today? You know, it's uh, right in the middle of uh, next semester for nursing, and the way my schedule falls, I could make it for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and that is what I'm going to try and do. Cool. Would love to meet you and love to hang out, have a beer or something. We're, Thank I'll you. be there somehow. I don't know how yet, but I'll be there. So I'm excited to go. Yeah. Dr. Dave Ross, where can people find you? Uh, I'm at my email address, drdr0682 at aol.com. And uh, I'm not going to be at EMS today. We're, we're, we'll be at NAEMSP, the National Association of EMS Physicians, meeting next week in Florida. Um, and uh, otherwise, I'll be in Colorado. Where is it where is it in Florida this year? It's actually in uh, Bonita Springs, uh, which I've never been to, um but sounds like it's really nice. And uh so we're uh, we're looking forward to it. So uh I've got uh, I'm involved with the cares, that's the cardiac arrest uh registry out of Emory, so we'll be having a meeting of that and there's some good continuing medical education courses and I have some things to do with AMR National there as well. So a lot of things um I'm looking forward to. It should be nice. Very cool. Well, thank you, guys. Also, don't forget audible.com, uh, audibletrial.com forward slash EMS Garage. Get your 
uh, 14-day free trial. I'm Chris Monterra, Geeky Medic. And thanks to our winner and everybody that uh, applied, all five of you, to uh, get your copy of EMS Monopoly. More drawings and more things to come from EMS Garage. We'd like to thank our audience. Um, boy, 2010 was huge for us. And um, you wouldn't believe how many downloads we get a month. And I'm not here to brag, but we are quickly becoming the number one EMS podcast. <clears throat> Sorry, Jamie. Nah, he, I'm teasing. Jamie Jamie loves me. Um, man, and he hasn't been on in a while, but uh, I'm pretty happy about what, what you guys bring and how this panel show really continues to grow. And we always bring up interesting topics and uh, you wouldn't, and the people genuinely like it. We have a lot of emails every week from, from listeners saying, you know, this is, this really struck a chord with me, or this is, this is something we're dealing with in our service. And I just really thank you for that. So also listen to our other podcasts, pdu.com from Kyle David Bates. Um, first few moments from Kyle David Bates, uh, the new EMS research podcast, the brand new EMS standing orders podcast. So we have a lot of shows. Oh, and don't forget the original EMS leadership podcast hosted by none other than Chris Sabalero. And I think there'll be a new episode of that tonight or today, maybe. Um, I've got to run to work, so we'll see. It'll it'll get posted at some point, and then uh, you'll be listening to us, too. So thank you very much for joining us, and uh, continue to listen to us in 2010. Have a great day. Night, whatever you want.